Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. You are in for a special treat for this podcast. I have a group coming from the 504, New Orleans representing, move doo-wop flavor with R&B, put out an album out on Atlantic entitled It's Real with the single Ain't Nothing Wrong. And you're seeing them in commercials ranging from Zings, JCPenney's, 10K, Levi's 501. And you even saw them on Late Night with Mr. Arsenio Hall. So today we're going to get busy with the one, the only, the real seduction on Beyond the Album Cover. Welcome to the podcast, fellas. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. Hey, how you doing there, brother? Man, right. I appreciate you guys coming and taking the time out to uh, do this interview. So, can one by one, can we introduce ourselves? I'm going to start with Tracy, Brandon, and then we're going to work our way down. Just introduce yourselves briefly to our audience. Hey, I'm Tracy Brandon, second tenor in the group. I'm uh, Tracy Brandon. Brandon. Go ahead, Stacy. I am Stacy Brandon, first tenor, falsetto tenor in the group. I'm Tracy Brown. I sing melody. Until Daryl took it. Go ahead, Lawrence. Yo, this is Law, Big Law, Lawrence. I'm, I sing lead and bass. Lead and bass. All right. And if we can get Daryl and Dennis to unmute. Go ahead, Dennis. Uh, this is Dennis. I sing bass. And all over the board, which is called the meat locker. All right. And go ahead and get Daryl. Daryl. Well, we have my man Daryl, who's a member of Real Seduction. So once again, thank you guys for coming on to the podcast, doing this interview. So now... This question is up for anybody that wants to take it. Who wants to tell the story of how the real seduction formed and the story before you guys got your deal with Atlantic? And this is up for anybody that wants to take it. So go ahead and unmute to whoever wants to take it and then anybody can elaborate if they want. I say Tracy Brown should start that one off because he has a great creative way of talking about the beginning because he was there in the beginning. So Tracy Brown, let's go for it. Okay, well, it started off in 92 at John F. Kennedy High School. That's when I met the twins. We um, auditioned for a talent show, and they were, um, they were auditioning. My brother and I were also auditioning, and um, that's how we hooked up. So for that year, we started singing. We were winning every talent show in the city. We were actually practicing by a mutual friend's house, and um, he was a part of the group. And we actually kicked him out of the group, but still used his yard to practice. <laughs> My man, Chris White, he took, he took care of us with that part of it. But that's how we started out, just singing in the halls. Whenever we had a chance, we would sing, we would serenade the women, you know, and basically that's how we started out, right, fellas? That's it, you nailed it. Yeah, hey serenading women and winning talent shows that was all that you cared about back in the day because like eddie murphy said and uh believe it was delirious singers get you know what and you know what the you know what is and especially if you 
from New Orleans with that accent. I'm not even going to try to do it justice because I can't do it. But that accent is something about a New Orleans accent that is just about the right season, like on a piece of Popeye's chicken or the fresh biscuits that come out of the oven. Yes, sir. That's, that's definitely the truth. Right. It worked for us. Right. That's Tracy. Tell me why we actually started the group. Yeah, you know, we are. Do you guys have a name? And we we didn't have a name. So we talked on the phone that night. We said, hey, hey, Brown, you know, what are we going to call ourselves? And we had no clue. And somebody said something about something, seduction. And they said, okay, well, that, we'll go with that. And we, we, it just stuck with us. So that was around the, the, the Prince era, you know, where everything was about seducing and being sexy and stuff. So that's that's how we Yeah. <laughs> Right. So during the talent show circuit, were there any go-to songs in your repertoire that you would do that would automatically be a first place winner? Or were you guys just scrambling, trying to find songs that would fit everybody's vocal ability? And this is up for anybody that wants to take it. I think uh, during that time, we just really wanted to emulate some of the great guys that came before us. Um, when we were walking home one day, we saw a group called Southern Comfort. They were singing a cappella on the porch near Tracy Brown's home. And it was phenomenal. These guys sing just beautifully. The harmony was so tight. It was like, oh my God. Well, after seeing them, we just said, hey, listen, we need to go home and try to do something like that. So we started to listen to songs by Cameo and, and come up with different harmonies uh, which I think the song we started out with was For You by Cameo. And that that kicked it off for us. We won our first talent show with that particular song. And after that, we said, man, we might have something. And we started entering every talent show after that and killed it. I, I think we won all of them. We I think we won, let's just say we won 99% of the shows we uh, entered. Now, when you guys were going... Now, when you guys were around doing the town shows, was this also right around the same time when Bounce Music was just starting to formulate with DJ Jimmy, DJ Jubilee, Sabu, and then the Buck Jump Time and all of that good stuff, pre-cash money? Wow, that's funny that this is Tracy. So it's funny you bring that up because Sabu is actually Manny Precious' father. So Sabu is a, a, was, you know, a famous DJ in New Orleans. Stacy and I, Tracy Brown, we went to school with... Uh, with uh, Gregory Mandy, you know, and Gregory D. So they were the real hot guys out there doing, you know, their thing. And, uh, you know, we were always the, the doo-wop guys. And from that doo-wop, when I went off to college, you know, there was another spot to be filled in the group. So all of a sudden, Stacy met this cool cat named Lawrence Pierce. And all of a sudden we realized he could say, he wanted to be like me, let's get it right. He wanted to fill my shoes because I was off in college, you know what I mean? But uh, when I came home, Tracy Brown and Stacy had started singing with Lawrence. And when I met the brother, I mean, I was blown away. His vocals would chop up anybody in the city. So it was like, okay, you got the hip hop guys with, you know, with Gregory D and Manny Fresh, but now you got some real singers over here with, with seduction. You know, when we joined with Lawrence Pierce, 
everything, the dynamic of the whole group just changed from that point on. All right. And Lawrence, do you want to add? Yes, let me add. Um, it, it, Tracy, just to elaborate on what Tracy was saying, it was definitely amazing. The harmonies were off the chain. Um, we also had Daryl there, too. So because when I came to the group, Daryl was a part of the group as well. So there were, it was actually four of them. It was four of the guys. And I came in and I added the best when I started singing the bottom note. I added the bottom note and the harmonies were amazing. When I met Seduction, Seduction was just what the name was. It was about, there was sexy, they had the, the, the shirts with no, no uh, uh, the long coats with the white shoes. So that's what Seduction was. Now these were brothers that could sing very, very well, but they also had this appearance, this Prince was their biggest idol. So. Um, they had that whole thing. And, and I remember doing a talent show. It was 35, McDonald 35 talent show uh, in New Orleans. We did that show and we got on stage. We had the long coats. We had the shirt. Notice I didn't say any pants. We had white shoes on and we got on stage. And harmonies were amazing, but they wouldn't let us finish. They, they started closing the curtains because of how we look, because of the dress. So it kind of gave me the idea. I was like, you know what, man? We, we too talented. We are talented. We sing. That's what we do. Let's do that first. And we became, you know, seduction. Where it, whereas in, when you hear that harmony, that five-point harmony still is unmatched. There is nothing I've ever heard or ever been around that sounds like the five of us. So when we were singing, it would just make people be like, my God, you guys are amazing. So I came in and added that kind of thing, that structure of let's, let's harmonize on everything and let's make it instead of three part, a four part, let's make it a five man vocal group. A lot of temptations, you know, the, those guys. And, you know, we went from there. All right, and Daryl, do you have anything you want to add? Well, if we could find him. <laughs> I believe Daryl will need to unmute. So go ahead and unmute Daryl if you have anything that you want to add. Well, since we can't have Darryl, there you go. All right. There you go. Go yeah. ahead. What's up? What's up? What's up? Not yeah, much. I just want to say, man, I want to go back and reiterate, you know, back when uh when Lauren was talking and um, you know, Tracy Brown. I just want to say, man, it got to a point where we were so good that uh we couldn't compete in any show, you know. Um we had to be guests. So, you know, <laughs> it got to it got to a point when I first started the group, Tracy Brown, Tracy Brown. That's right, you know what I'm talking about, Tracy Brown. We got it. <laughs> Tracy used to always, you know, Tracy used to always make excuses of quitting the group until I came on board. So when I came on <laughs> on board uh station, Tracy said, man, well, you can you really so you can quit the group. You can quit the group, but we got somebody. We got somebody to, <laughs> to take your place. So you know, we got together, did a show, did a show um at this place, man. Um, the only thing I was trying to do is uh fit in with the dressing. You know, I wasn't used to the dressing. So uh, at the uh, station, bought me a long, a long gray coat <laughs> and some white shoes, pointed toes. Got together, we sang, man. We turned the place out. Then Tracy Brown started calling, man, I'm getting back in the group, man. I'm getting back in the group. So, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> it got to a point Tracy never left the group after that. 
when I joined the group. Then we moved on to uh, Booger, Booger T. Washington. That's where we met Lawrence. You know, Lawrence uh, joined the group right after, um, I think, was that before Booger T. Washington? No, it was Booker T. That was before? It was after, after Booker T. We met All him right, at Booker T. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that is, that's crazy. That's crazy. So now I want to ask Dennis this how the influence of New Orleans influenced you guys the sound? Because as we all know, those who are outside of New Orleans, New Orleans is known as the home of Zydeco and jazz with the two sons, Eric Connick Jr., the Marsalis family. So how would you guys able to combine the history and traditions of New Orleans with the doo-wop sounds of R&B that you guys were going? And a little bit of heads up for you guys that never been to New Orleans. If you see a second line, don't ever, 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 ever break a second line. Yeah, you're right about that. I could, uh, I could have a witness about that second line thing. But uh, as far as the sound uh, of the group, what we had, actually we, we uh, mixed it with a whole lot of uh, hip hop. We had a lot of hip hop. The guys, some guys in the group like different types of music, pop, R&B with a gospel feel. So that's why we came up with the sound. They call it new wop. So when we start singing, people was like, it's a kind of new sound. And nobody could never put their hands on it or kind of fill it out. So we started calling it new wop. So it's new, and it still had the do wop feel into it, along with the gospel. So they kind of made it a whole different type of sound that would made us so unique from other groups. Okay. So would you say groups like Little Anthony, the Imperials, the Platters, the Winans, Commission, Take Six were influences on you guys' sound? That, that, that's that's exactly. Yes. That's right. That's exactly. We had a little bit of everything exactly. tied up in it, you know, along with that. Mm -hmm. So now you know that you're a threat for the talent show when they say, nah, you guys are too good. You can't enter. You're going to be special guests. And if you see the movie Fear of a Black Hat, you will understand this quote. We're NWH. We ain't no bleep bleep special guests. But you guys are special guests because you guys were too good. And they wanted somebody else to win. Now, can somebody please explain to me the importance of acoustics in a bathroom for doing your solos and your harmonies? Anybody can take that because I know a lot of groups when they sing a cappella, they say we normally go to the bathroom and practice there because of the acoustics. Well, I definitely want to go ahead on and add this. It's funny that you would even say that because if you saw the clip that we did on Arsenio Hall, that was our first time in LA and we met Arsenio Hall and uh, we sang this song and the song we had sang was a song we created while we were in Milan, Italy. We have been on this doo-wop tour uh, I mean, we were kids at the time, and we created the song called Five Men in the Tub. So it was just based on the theory of what you're talking about. We feel that the best harmonies came while you were in the shower. So in Italy, they had these community type showers. So we would go off into this bathroom area, and we just started harmonizing and singing, and we created the song called Five Men in the Tub. So, I mean, when you talk about the importance of it, it's extremely important, but I definitely want Lawrence to elaborate on that because when it came to the sound, that was his, he was very always like meticulous about the way we sound. 
and he knew notes and harmony. He read music and did all of that. All we wanted to do is just hear ourselves and sound good. But Lawrence was like the 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 the, the uh, technique or the technical person in sound, and that quality came from just like you mentioned, raw talent in the bathroom listening to acoustic. So Lawrence, take it over from that. Well, because um, thank you, Tracy, um, and the reason most groups sing in the bathroom and hallways, you look for that hallway, uh, you know, like you said, down on bourbon, looking for an echo, an answer to a, an echo, because it gave you that automatic reverb. So it wasn't like you needed to be in the studio where I need to press a button and put reverb on you or any delay on you. If you're in a bathroom and you say, oh, well, you can hear the echo kind of travel. So that's a natural reverb so you know folk love that and you know if you're a singing group with harmonies when that harmony come together Jarrell I tell you it's amazing yep just be sure to practice your acoustics in the bathroom when nobody's doing the number two I'll tell you that much but the bathroom definitely a great spot for harmonizing as we saw in Lean On Me with Riff well yo Gerald yo Gerald since you mentioned you're mentioning uh the bedroom and number two and everything. Uh, this is a, a true story. Um, we were at the Hyde Regency in New Orleans, and um, <laughs> <laughs> it was the BRE, you know, the Black Radio Exclusives were there, and um, we were in the bedroom doo-wop, you know, you know, as 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 we do singing, and um, <laughs> we didn't know. We heard somebody say, um, "Don't go nowhere," and uh, we look. <laughs> he peeped this this guy peeped his head out the um the toilet, and we looked. It was um. What's his name? Uh, Gerald Levert. Gerald Levert was taking a dump. <laughs> he, had, he had his pants, you know, wrapped around his leg and he stuck his head out the door. He said, don't go nowhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, heard, he heard those homies, man. And, uh, and uh, actually, that was our first trip to um, Atlantic Records. Our first trip to Atlantic Records, uh, we got together and um, singing some doo-wop from him. For, um, and, and that's a true story. So literally, your harmonies cut through. Shh. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> it literally cut through. Shh. Rest in peace, Gerald. Now, with Atlantic, did you guys do the Levi's 501 commercial prior to getting signed to Atlantic, or was this after? Anybody can take this question. Uh, that was prior to Stacy talking. It was prior. Um, before we were ever signed, we already established a name for ourselves with television commercials. I think by then we had already done Levi's 501, we had done British Knights, we had done Burger King, we have done Bergeron Shoes, uh, there was a Super Bowl Pepsi spot. We'd, we'd already done many commercials leading up to getting signed with Atlantic Records. Um, but interestingly enough, the way we were signed to Atlantic Records, uh, well, first of all, we still need to talk about how the group um, became four members. Go ahead. Uh, we got to A&M Records. We uh, found that someone was looking for us. And this guy by the name of Matt Robinson uh, was trying to reach out to us and find out who we were and if we can come to Los Angeles. Well, once we found out this guy was looking for us, we said, wait a minute, Matt Robinson and I think it was Tracy Brown that said, man, that's the executive producer of the Cosby show. Man, if Matt Robinson is looking for us, we got to get out of here. We can't wait 
to uh, go to Los Angeles. Uh, we can't wait for them to send us to Los Angeles. We need to go. So we packed up and went to Los Angeles. And that was even after our trips to uh, Milan, Italy, and, 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 and New York, and spending time in Minneapolis. Uh, we were not giving up, but we had already started our journey to try to make something happen for ourselves because we just couldn't stay in New Orleans. It was like the industry of music stopped. Everything stopped um, when it came to getting people signed from New Orleans. It was as if the music industry said, uh, we're going to travel all over to look for talent, but oh, New Orleans, now nah, we're going to forget about New Orleans and they would skip over New Orleans. So we're like, we have to get out of here. Um, just to speed it up a little bit, we traveled to those different places. But when we came back from Milan, Italy, that's when we met Gerald LaVert and had us go up to Atlantic Records. And uh, as Daryl said, we did our little stint there. We sang a cappella for Sylvia Roan. At the time, she said, uh, wow, I have an idea. Well, you know, we were thinking about uh, Gerald LaVert producing an album and giving you something like, I don't know, what it, what was it, guys, 175000 I don't know what it was, some kind of number. And I said, oh, well, we were interested in having Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, maybe 750,000. Well, I don't know what number, it's so long ago. She said, you're very arrogant. I said, I'm not arrogant, I'm just convinced that uh, we're, we're the right product for your company. She said, well, what are you gonna bring to the table? We said, well, we want to sing this song here. And we started to sing, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye. And that was a song from the Cooley High movie. Now you all know it being famous from a group called Boys to Men. However, this was pre-Boys to Men. This was in 1986 when we did this song, acapella. And uh, Sylvia said, well, I was thinking about something else for you guys. Uh, and I said, well, I think we should come out with something acapella because we want everyone to know that we can really sing. And she said, well, maybe you guys should try your music somewhere else. And I said, maybe we should. So we were never signed with Atlantic Records at that time. We actually came back to LA, I mean, to New Orleans. And from New Orleans, found out about Matt Robinson. And we collectively said, hey, we have to get out of here. We're going to Los Angeles now. When we got to Los Angeles, we were able to, and I'm keeping it short because I could be long-winded telling the story. Uh, we met Matt Robinson's mother and she said, what are you guys doing here? We said, we're here to hit, meet Matt. She said, listen, I'm busy. I told you guys, you don't come here and you came here anyway. And we started singing. Once she heard us sing, she said, everyone drop what you're doing, get Matt on the phone, tell him those guys from New Orleans are here. And that was it for us. She introduced us to uh, Arsenio Hall and got us on the Arsenio Hall show. And that started our little quest from there. But that's crazy. That's crazy. Now I want now I want to say this really quick. You mentioned that this was pre-Boys Man. You guys saying acapella is so hard. For those of you that don't know, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday was on the Coolie High soundtrack, which was originally sung by GC Cameron, who was originally in the spinners. And when you auditioned for Atlanta the first time, this was probably before Sylvia Rome signed a group out of Pasadena, California by the name of Troop, correct? It was yeah. We would we would be full true. Yeah, because well, you gotta also. Go ahead, go ahead, well, you gotta also add in there. Sylvia Rome just didn't sign us. She said the industry was not ready. 
for acapella. That was her exact words. We went to her singing acapella. It's so hard to say goodbye. She looked at us and said, the industry is not ready for acapella. You know, you guys sound good, but I don't think the industry is ready for acapella. Okay. A few years later, we go on tour with MC Hammer. We're overseas, 18 countries. We hear a group in, in the States singing It's So Hard to Say Goodbye. Uh, I have a story about Boy, that too. Right? <laughs> I have a story about that. Go ahead. I was talking to I was talking to a guy um, that was in the, the band that played for us during the, um, the WYLD radio talent show. Okay. And um, he was like, man, I thought y'all, y'all should have made it years ago. You know, I thought y'all were going to make it. And he told me something. Remember the lady that was one of the, um, she worked for YLD. She was one of the reps. She could sing too. I can't think of a name, hmm. but remember when they tried to sign us, they were trying to sign us on their lay. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, sign, mm -hmm. get us to, sign a contract with them and we refused to sign it. So what I found out, what this guy told me was that woman, I can't remember her name, went to um, to the major companies, went to MCA and she yeah, she yeah. Um, promoted this, this idea that became Boys to Men. She went in there and told them about us and what all out the stuff, not told them about us, but she used what we were doing in our rendition of It's So Hard to Say Goodbye, and that's how they got their deal. Hmm. Interesting. That crazy? That's, that's, that's crazy. And I'll give you guys a little fun backstory. Um, I was interviewing Jazz from the group Whistle, you know, bugging always and forever, and he told me that they originally wanted to do It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday, but Boys and Men had already got the rights to record the record, and they beat them to the punch. So I find it funny right. how you guys were a template for them and how their success pretty much brought doo-wop and acapella back to pop R&B. But let's also not forget people, the forefathers of the merging of hip hop, R&B, and doo-wop, for some Ds. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Tender love. <laughs> we should sing all of this stuff. Love for some Ds. Love the for some Ds. Oh yeah. Your love drives me crazy. Oh my goodness. Here we here I go again. Here I go again. Yep. Now can you tell me what influence New Edition had on you guys? Mm -hmm. Anybody oh, can ahead. take this one. Go ahead, Tracy. New Edition had all the influence on us as we were growing up. You know, we we were in that those teenage years. You know, where you start liking the girls and whatnot. New Edition, they were hot. All the girls like New Edition. So what we wanted to do is like mimic the guys that's getting all the attention. So we started to sing new edition songs. We did we did any song that we could harmonize with. We even did songs by Switch and uh, what was it? Uh, it turned out they called themselves the Barge now, but right, it was Switch at the time. And uh, wow, you talking about new edition? Major influence, everything about them, man. We loved them. Went to their concerts, and in our earlier days, we started to pattern ourselves behind their business model. You know, so that's how it just grew into, at, you know, initially it came out to be three-man group. It turned out to be five, but I have to go in on and, and share because we haven't mentioned it. Dennis Gordon was brought into the group. Uh, he was the last member to join. He and Lawrence had been best friends since they were kids. He was always around. And when we needed that next guy to come and just add a, another little something, Dennis was always there to make it happen. And man, he rounded out the sound. So just like New Edition, 
at their five men, and then they joined with Johnny Gill. Well, Dennis is our Johnny Gill, you know. So Dennis was like that secret weapon was like, hey, you thought this was something. You ain't know we were coming back like this on them, my brother. Watch this. So Dennis, talk up. So Dennis, talk about your addition into the group. Uh, uh, like Tracy say, uh, uh, Tracy brought me into the group. Uh, uh, if I could uh, elaborate just a little bit on that, um, you know, when whenever you come into a new situation, you know, you have some guys say, "Well, you know, it's a new guy and um, around, and this like a football team or a basketball team or whatever." You know, somebody gonna always feel that you're taking the place, but. I was just adding on to what, you know, that was already established and just adding my flavor to it. And once I got my flavor into it, you know, we um, actually, I was going to um, Los Angeles and we, they had a, uh, a show out there. I think it was uh, one of the big shows and uh, two of the guys, I think of Tracy Brown and Daryl, they had left at the time. And I was already heading out to California and me and Lawrence always used to sing with another group uh, or the gospel group. We started singing out with a gospel group, and we were always sung with another uh, group called the Uptowners. And there was a uh, doo-wop group as well. So everybody that was uh, in New Orleans or that was a part of the real seduction or anybody else, everybody was talented. They had that gift to sing. So, you know, whenever you got a call, you know, you just drop on in and just go in and get your part, do your part and this make the sound the way it's supposed to be. But out in California, I went to Los Angeles and that's how I became, got in the group. And um, from there we went, um, God just took us to another another level when we come down to, um, to singing. So. All, right. All right, so before I wanna go into getting signed the second time around by Atlantic, I wanna talk about bounce culture for a minute. Now there was this record by a rap group, I believe they're based out of New York called the Showboys called drag rap now they just took the break from this record it's known as trigger man if you listen to any record from new orleans any bounce record Tr trigger man you will hear that sample soccer moms know it now because ellen was backing her thing up on her comedy special and then about two years ago turbo tax tried to gentrify new orleans bounce with the all people or tax people commercial. Can, can, so can somebody elaborate on what was it like being at the forefront of a movement with bounce music and then later on what was to come with cash money and No Limit? Because I didn't know this until the No Limit Chronicles that Master P had to go out to the Bay Area first to get his bones in, then came back to New Orleans. And he had everybody saying, uh, and then cash money with Wody, you heard me, baby. Lil Wayne, Juvie, BG, Turk, Hot Boys, all that good stuff. So anybody want to take that to talk about New Orleans Bounce, Cash Money, and No Limit? I'll, I'll jump in and, and, and talk about this. Uh, this is Tracy. So, um, yeah, as far as the bounce culture, I remember uh, when we were in elementary, we met this guy, uh, um, and, you know, his, his mom used to let him just listen to all kind of music. You know, our parents wouldn't let us listen to a lot of, music that had negative content in it and whatnot. But he was playing this song and it was the Trigger Man song about bugs can can and, and, and drop them in the ocean and you know, all of this stuff it was like, yo, this is cool, you know? So that was our first introduction into that type of, at the time, I guess that's, that's the beginning of what you would call gangster rap. Cause it was talking about 
uh, uh, real gangsters in New York, you know? And uh, that beat seemed to segue into any and everybody that wanted to do hip hop or rap. If they wanted to make it big, they sampled a little bit of that Trigger Man beat. And my goodness, any and everybody in New Orleans that sampled that record, all of a sudden it became an overnight success. I think if you remix one of our songs and put the Trigger Man beat on it, it'll be a hit today because New Orleans just loves that, you know, that Trigger Man beat. And now they call it- Just give me an idea, Tracy. <laughs> you in the studio, Lawrence, you can crank it out, but be, but be sure to- yeah, but be sure to do the call and response for all the wars. Where the third war, where the ninth war, where West Bank, where Calio, all that good stuff. Let's because start fights, it, man. Let's start fights. Man. Let's start fights. We can't do that. <laughs> well, well, I mentioned Buck Jump Time earlier, and that record, yeah. they said when that record came on the club, it's like any ATL Crunk era record where move, get out the way. You don't want to be on the floor when Buck Jump Time came on. I give you I gave you a good story about that uh, bug jump time. Uh, actually, um, I don't know. I think it was Gregory D. Guys, yeah. that's a record. So Gregory D. Uh, came out to Los Angeles with us. We had to record, <laughs> record with Gregory D. And he hung out with us for almost like two weeks. Man, what I tell you, it was hilarious. But you talking about a brother with a whole lot of energy. And now, uh, <laughs> a whole lot of energy. But uh, he was the first one. That started a buck jump time, and I tell you, it's like uh, you just said, when that record came on in the club, you best if you didn't want to be a part of that uh, the riff raff or the funk, it's best for you to get out of this. Like you said, ooh we butter jumping out of the trees, just got my medallion snatched. So it was pretty, man. <laughs> it was pretty hot. Y'all can't forget, man. <laughs> man, how the hell y'all gonna yeah, forget Manny Fresh? Hot, bro. Manny Fresh. No, yes, and Manny Fresh, exactly. Manny and Gregory D. Manny Fresh and Gregory D. What a Right. That's that's who they were. Their first videos was with us in California, like Dennis said, when they came out to shoot their first couple of videos in LA. Yeah. They were they were out there the Weird. Hold on. I, I still have a copy of one of the videos. Hey, hey, hey. We had to cover our faces in the video because of Atlantic Records. They wouldn't let y'all be in the video, so you had to mask it up. Man, yeah, man. we we put mask. We had mask on that resembled, uh, I think, uh, President Bush and other people. So while we're in the video, every time the camera got close up, we put the mask in our face and we continue dancing and everything. <laughs> so like I'm not a crook. So also, can we talk about the influence of HBCU in the marching band culture with? Southern and Grambling and the Bayou Classic. Anybody yeah, can take this one. Lawrence would definitely get into that because he loved, loved, loved anything that had to do with band. But it doesn't seem like Lawrence is back on here. Look like yeah. we lost him. Yep. Yeah. So anybody else want to take it and elaborate on the importance of the let, let Tracy, Tracy Brown, Tracy Brown could talk about that. Daryl Jenkins. <laughs> but man, you talking about uh, Southern and Grand Jaguars Tigers? Man, for years and years, Grambling took over as the football. They was known as the best football team, and Southern Jag was, you know, the beatbox. They was known as the best band in the world. So, you know, we always gave them the football football game sometimes because uh, probably they 
they probably won their fair share of game of football games, you know, but they could never beat us towards the band, the beatbox. So, um, <laughs> but for those of you that I, I don't know, Chris about, Brown, what you think? Yeah, and for those of you that don't know about Tracy. Southern culture, halftime is game time. Now, Tracy Brown, go mm -hmm. ahead and elaborate more. The thing, the thing about that was, um, that was something that everyone looked forward to all throughout the year because we would get people coming from all over the world to come down here and experience what you know, we had to show them as far as our music, as far as the Greek shows, as far as um, you know, the bands, of course, the bands were amazing. The boom box, they were bad, but um, they, were, they were really good. But the thing about it was, you know, it, it was the togetherness that you saw, the unity that we had as a people during that time. You know, everyone was on the same accord during that time. Either you were with Southern or you were with Grambling, but it was still just a good time. The Greek shows were amazing. And of course, we would always be there singing in the bathrooms or singing around the girls, you know, or going to, of course, back then, what was it? Um, Nexus, one of our managers back then used to own this big club and we were like VIPs over there. So, you know, whenever we had an opportunity, we were going to do some stuff over there too, but yeah, the, um, that, that, you know, it was just culturally, it was just a great time for us as a people to be together. So it, of course, it, it influenced everything that we've done because we look forward to that so much and learning, you know, new dance steps, learning new songs, learning, you know, new harmonies and stuff like that from the bands and hearing the melodies and stuff. It helped us with our thing too. Right. So, it's all about tubas, woodwinds, the drums. But if you have not been to an HBCU homecoming, I, even though I didn't go to an HBCU, I was 15 minutes up the road from one. The tailgates are live. Any type of food you can imagine. Oh, yeah. But I know you guys being down in the bayou, you guys got that crawfish, got that boil, got the shrimp, everything. Make you want to do the Birdman hand rub, line up by like 6 o'clock in the morning, ready for that fresh batch. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about that food man you know hey if it's a party i don't care what it is man it could be a second line it could be a ball game you name it somebody's gonna it's, it's a tailgate everywhere in new orleans you know oh, yeah it's not about the food it's about the music and they all just blend together like a big old gumbo Yep, New Orleans is right. on my bucket list of places to go visit. As long as I give me a mufaletta sandwich and a beignet from Cafe Du Monde, I'm good to go. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Well, you need to get you some gumbo, bro. Yes, sir. You need to get some gumbo. Get you some. Come, come, go to Cages and get you some crawfish. Come, come, you know, get you some um, some oysters on a half shell. Muffaletta oh, oh, is good, though. Oh, oh, trust me. I'm a seafood junkie, so anywhere where seafood, I will be there. I will pull up in somebody's yard. If I see somebody frying fish and they got that fresh grease, how long has it been since that fish came out that grease? <laughs> you know, I'm I know about them fish fries. Trust me. This is, this, is, this is what you need to do, though. You need to find your place. Get your hot sausage sandwich with both types of cheese and a big shot pineapple. Okay. All right, I definitely have to make a note of that when I come down. So uh, how did you guys feel about the second time around getting signed to Atlantic and then going to the studio to making the It's Real album? And anybody can elaborate on this if they want, who wants to take it first. All right, jump on that. 
Yes, um, I think it was that that's the evolution of seduction, kind of when we started to kind of move to the mainstream area and kind of just putting our sound out there, putting our stamp on the world. I think that was a, a big part for us. It, it was, you know, a great thing. Um, Atlantic signed us. We came back around. We did something with a, a guy by the name of Bronx Style Bob. We did uh, Malcolm McLaren. Malcolm McLaren. Yeah. Malcolm McLaren was the two Buffalo girls go round the outside, round the outside. We did the singing on there. And um, through that, Atlantic signed us. And uh, they signed us, but they wasn't ready to actually do anything with us at the time. So she, we signed. We were signed, but it wasn't really ready to do anything. Um, Sylvia and had they, idea what she wanted to do um, with us. And we said, okay, well, since if it's going to be that way, we're going to leave and go on tour with MC Hammer. We're going to tour and do 18 countries with MC Hammer. And what will happen is, um, you know, once you decide when you want to release us, instead of putting us on the shelf, when you're ready to release us, then we'll, you know, we'll be ready to go. Well, Sylvia, um, we, we're on tour. We're gone. We're doing 18 countries with MC Hammer. And then we get, you know, Hammer wanted to sign us to his label. Busted. Oh, why did that? Busted Records. You remember that? Busted Records was the name of the label. We had everybody from 357, uh, who was on there? Joey Bialis, 357. Special uh, Generation. Special Generation. Um, so it was groups like that. And we were going to do it um, because, you know, he was ready to release us at the time. But why did we say we were ready to do it? Atlantic Records slapped, say, listen, if y'all do anything, we're going to sue everybody. So we kind of had to freeze that, put the hope on that. We torn with Hammer. We decided, you know what? Um, we'll do the album when we get back. When we get back, we'll do the album. Okay, so when we went back, we decided, hey, listen, after touring, you know, it's time to get in here and do this Israel thing. And I think that was really because it's real started out going, we, we always wanted to do an album that pictured us. We didn't, we were a group that was about, listen, if you're going to cover the sound, if you're going to do anything that's going to kill the sound, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to deal with it. And I don't care who you were, if you're going to kill our sound, we didn't want to, you know, just to put your, you know, a lot of producers at the time will put their thing in the front and they'll put the vocals in the harmony way in the back. And it's like, okay, it's all about this, but you don't hear anything else, you know? So we were, we were really about that. And if you were gonna put that in the background, we had a problem with it. Um, but on the It's Real, we were able to kind of get our own thing going. Um, so it was fun. I think it was fun. Um, you know, we got some writing on there. We did, uh, we worked with uh, Bobcat. And at the time we were so excited to work with Bobcat. Bobcat was from, uh, Canine Posse, was it? That's all we knew was Bobcat came in and sat behind the board, behind the board. And, you know, we wanted to do that so bad. We wanted to work with him. Got a chance to work with Bobcat. Actually, LL came in on a few sessions that we were doing with Bobcat. Um, we got a chance to work with Damon Thomas, um, who later became Underdog. Um, but before Underdog, he did our, he did our album. We, we actually brought him to Sylvia. Um, who else was on the album, fellas? Who else was on there? Crazy. I can't hear you. I can see you. We had Eddie F. Funny enough. Eddie um, F. 
I tell you what, um, when it comes to manifesting things, they used to call me a uh, positive ass. That was my nickname in the group because I knew how to manifest anything. I tell you, I was at home one day and I was watching the sitcom In Living Color. And when the music came on, I was like, oh my God, I've never heard a song like this before. Ooh, if we could get a song like this. I said, man, yeah, yeah. that'll take us all the way to the top. Well, funny enough, within two weeks, we got a phone call saying, hey, we're going to have you guys in the studio with Eddie F. Now, even when they said Eddie F, all I knew, oh, that's the guy from Heavy D and the Boys, right? Still didn't register that he was the one that produced the song for In Living Color. When we got in the studio, he started playing this track. I said, oh, my God. I said, that's it. That's it. And you guys know that song today as Ain't Nothing Wrong. Man, that's definitely crazy. Now, before we get into Ain't Nothing Wrong, when It's Real came out, it was Stacy, Tracy, Lawrence, and Dennis. It was four. So I want to know the story of Daryl and Tracy. How come they weren't included on the It's Real album? Well, I can speak to that. Tracy Brown. Yeah. Tracy Brown and Daryl took a hiatus when we were in LA and decided to go back home to New Orleans. And at that time, we had some contractual uh, obligations. And as they started to manifest or unfold, we had to fulfill them. So Dennis mm -hmm. was there, so we started to do those songs. And as we were doing those songs and commercials and whatnot, then we got that call to go ahead and, and, and work again with Atlantic Records. And they, we flew to Atlantic Records. They remember the five guys when we flew there. They said, okay, guys, we're gonna offer you guys a deal. At the time, it was still bubbling under. It wasn't a, a solid deal or whatnot, but once once they learned that we were rolling with MC Hammer, all of a sudden they wanted to go on and do the deal. So our our managers at the time broke the deal with us, and you know at that it was yeah it was uncomfortable time because Tracy Brown and Daryl weren't with us, but again they always be a part of the group. But that particular obligation we had to fulfill with Atlantic Records at that time with the four of us because that's who they saw when we went to sign the deal with them. So, so it's more of a business, more of a business, business thing. Yeah, it was it, it was only business, man. Personally, we always been the best of friends, still love each other, and we always we all six of us are seduction. Right. At the end of the day, that's but that right. one album, that one album with with Atlantic Records, it was just the four of us. All right, and uh, Daryl, always Brown. But that's the gist of it, you know. Um, you know, we parted ways and um, you know, they did their album and everything, and you know, it was really it was really nice. I'm impressed by it. It was good, you know. It I enjoyed it. But my my favorite thing about the whole situation is you know, we always we all were blessed during that time. I was blessed, I was blessed to be with a woman I loved for 34 years. I had two babies, you know. Um Worked at my job for 22 years, you know, been successful. So, you know, it was a good thing. It, But the, to me, the best thing about all of this was two years ago when we all got together and surprised Lawrence for his birthday. And we got in the bathroom and the morning was still there. It was like, it was like we didn't drop a, you know, a day wasn't missed. It was like we were together the whole time because once we started singing, you heard it. You know, and that, that to me is the most important thing about it. You know, 
we're brothers. You know, sometimes you part ways, sometimes you, you know, you, you mend what you what happened and you just keep it moving, you know, and that's where we are now. We're keeping it moving. And, you know, I mean, I still, I talk about birthday all the time. And Daryl, Daryl would get angry because he was mad because we didn't sing enough. <laughs> he said we only did like we only did like two songs together that night, but he wanted to put on a concert. And I'm like, man, that was perfect, you know. So you know that's where I'm at with it. So you know, it's, I, I commend them on what they did. I I love to hear the stories of um the stuff that they've done, you know, because it was like me being there too, you know. So yeah, it's, it was wonderful. All right. Yeah. right, right. I feel. Can someone? I feel the same. You know, I feel the same. You know, it's a it's a time for everything. You know, you know. Um, we we tried everything we can as a group when we were out there, and um, you know, um, we just had to come back to our families. Our families needed us at that time, and um, there's a season for everything. So um, maybe Trace and I had to leave for them to get their break. You know, because um, everything happened for a reason. You know, God didn't make any mistakes, you know. Right. And uh, like I say, you know, we never held any any grudge or anything, you know, because we love each other as, as brothers and we always will. You know, so uh, Trace and I was, you know, was happy for them. If, if I could just add something, because Tracy mentioned for my birthday. Listen, I was I was make I was making 50 years old. And I'll tell you, man, that was the, still to this day. That was the biggest surprise I've ever, ever had. I tell my fiance right now, I tell her every day, I say, baby, I, I can't top that. I, because no one could get the six of us in the same place at the same time. Lawrence is probably on the East Coast. Tracy's on the West Coast. Somebody's over here. Somebody's over there. We may get two of them, but you'll never get all of us together in the same room. And she was able to pull it off to get everybody in the same room, dude. And it was, I tell you, Jarrell, to, to, to know that you come up with these brothers and then you realize, man, you know, the, all, all of us was in the same room. When they popped out of the back and everybody surprised me, when they popped out singing, I was like, what? I started counting to see who was missing. Somebody in here. And everybody was there. Did you get a little eye sweat, Wait. though, Lawrence? Did you get a little eye sweat? <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. It it, it was um it, it, it was something, man. I, I, and I still talk about it to this day. You know, my brothers, my blood brothers, they're like, listen, bro, that was amazing to have your brothers come from all over, and everybody popped out. We started singing and harmonizing. It was like it was like it never left. It was like it never left. And that's to say with uh, Tracy Brown and Daryl. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. I think that now where we are as men, as, you know, we're older where we are as men and we are, the sound was still, this was a couple of years ago. The sound was still amazing, you know? So my, my thing is, my thing is to say it and I'll put everybody on the spot. You know, we old, <laughs> we old, you know, we ain't getting no older, but we owe the world. We owe the world some an album with the six of us. If not an album, four songs, I don't care, something. But we owe we owe them that to, to lock down and say, hey, you know what? We're gonna record six songs, man, and whatever. 
We're going to put them out, but it's going to be seduction. Okay. And it's all of us. And I mean, we all people, people waiting for it, man. Yeah, yeah. man. Cause you guys harmonies is like that nice warm cup of chicory coffee. When the beignet is dipping <laughs> there just right. We have that rice. Yeah. Season, like when you have that right season of Tony Carici's hit just right. Somebody, somebody got a new audience. Rest in peace, Justin somebody Wilson. Got a new audience. I guarantee that it'll be good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Somebody, oh, yeah. somebody, <laughs> must, somebody must be giving you a New Orleans dictionary or something because you yeah, 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 yeah. Man, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a student of, of the culture, student of everything. I didn't know about Tony Carici's until I moved out here when my wife, she fixed this mean Cajun potato soup. If you want the recipe, I'll give it to you later. But she fixed this mean Cajun potato recipe soup and she put some Carichis on there. And when that thing hits, I tell you, it hits. Now, can you tell me about the making of Ain't Nothing Wrong and how you guys ended up linking up with Ventro? Tracy, take Ooh, it. I got it. So uh, Atlantic Records decided to hook us up with Eddie F. Yeah, everybody know Eddie F from Eddie, uh, Heavy D and the Boys. And Eddie F produced all the music, like Stacy mentioned. He was uh, from the Cosby Show and whatnot. Uh, so we go into the studio that day and we look and it's like, look, man, yo, be quiet, man. That's that's Mary J. Blige. She's she's up and coming, man. She's bad, but she's been working all night. So y'all let her rest, you know? So we're like, okay. So we go into the studio and then uh introduced herself and said, man, I want you guys to check this song out. And he began to play Ain't Nothing Wrong. He started playing the beat and he was like, you know, man, what y'all think about it? Okay, this is what I came up with. So he had us all go in the studio, go in the booth and started singing and whatnot. And then when he heard Lawrence's voice, he's like, oh, stop, man. He's got to sing the lead on this. So he started singing the lead on, on Ain't, Ain't Nothing Wrong. I remember it was, it was Halloween, wow. It was Halloween 1992. And uh, we're in there singing that song, you know, and we actually released it six months later uh, in 93. So yeah, that's how Ain't Nothing Wrong came, came about. And man, I mean, that was just that new Jack Swing era. So when it hit, you already knew what it was. But the only thing I said we had trouble with, it was just propaganda. It was a bunch of uh, payola going on with music at the time. It was about releasing certain artists and not releasing us because this artist had paid so much money and it, it, was, it was just a mess back there. But when the, when the song got out there, for those that actually got a chance to experience it, it was a household name, you know? So everywhere we toured, it was great. Once you dropped that, man, it was on. So the club really loved that song. Yeah, because when I first heard that record, I was like, this record sounds a lot like intro, but realized that Kenny Green was doing the vocals on that. And Kenny Green, rest in peace, vocally was no joke. So, Lawrence, can you tell me about uh, your interactions with Kenny Green and how he was vocally in the studio? I was just speaking about Kenny the other day. I was listening to uh, Ribbon in the Sky. And... Um, Kenny was, I mean, there was nothing like him. Kenny was the reason, I mean, all that Mary J. Blige stuff y'all like, uh, real love, all that, that's Kenny. You know, everything, all the Mary J. Blige stuff from the beginning was Kenny Green. He he was a, an extraordinary writer. He was an extraordinary writer, but his best thing, I think his strengths 
was his, the way he could melodize. He would get you in there and put, he can, it could just be drum, boom, 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 boom. And he'll put a melody to it, unmatched. He was amazing, man. Yeah, because if you go and listen to Love Thing off of their debut album, uh, when he's doing his melody, it almost kind of sounds like jazz scat. Yep, that's what it, he, he loved Al Jarreau. He loved, now that I think about it, I remember him. He was big on Al Jarreau. Mm -hmm. So, so jazz was a big influence on Kenny yeah, Green as far yeah. as his melodies and everything. And also, you mentioned yeah, you mentioned their work on uh, Mary J. Blige, What's the 411. Now, also be remiss if we didn't mention the work on that album of Prince Mar with Prince Marky D and uh, Corey Rooney on that album mm -hmm. as well. And I'm sure they're loving them royalty checks from Target. Shout out to Target for using yeah. real love. But Prince Marky D and Corey mm -hmm. Rooney, they were no slouches either because Prince Marky D and the Soul Convention album, Bananas. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you're right about that. You're definitely right about that. I see you know you're pretty, I see your history about your music, brother. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah I remember this that's, stuff. That's pretty impressive. I, yeah, I remember this stuff vividly, you know, 92, 93, 7, going on eight, watching Video Soul. Remember seeing the video, which I did not find out until recently is on YouTube because you could not find it anywhere on YouTube. The closest I came to it being re-upped just recently was seeing it at the end of you guys being on video LP. Wow. With Sherry Carter? Yes, sir. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because I think you, you know, guys, man. I think you guys on that show performed. This is what I will do. And um, where were you when God gave where were you when God gave our hearts, I believe, were the two records you guys did. Wow. Yeah, we did. That was that was an amazing time, man. You know, sometimes I forget the things we've done. I forget. I, I forgot we even did that. But that was an amazing time, man. Tracy remember. Um, he could tell he could tell you we getting out the car. Was it? Was yeah, it? actually, we was coming from um, Ohio and Philadelphia. Ohio, good, Dennis. Mm -hmm. And um, we got a call. We was in Ohio and said well, we had to do um, uh, video soul at the time. That was the name of the program. And um, we said, okay, well, at that time, yeah, we, we did the we was always prepared. It was always, you know, the real seduction say, you know, you stay ready, you don't have to get ready, you stay up, you know, you know, stay down. You keep up, you don't have to catch up. So, you know, we 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 kept our our uh bearings about us of doing things to make sure that we was on top of stuff, but we wanted to make sure that because we are first class brothers, to make sure to go back, we want to give the people exactly what they see and what they hear on the on a, on a, on, a, on the album. So what we did when we went back and caught, you know, this steps to the zone and went back and just smashed the whole television show, you know, so we, we did an awesome job with that. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Those are good times because when they saw us with those crazy hair dudes, they were like, who are these guys? What's going on with these hair dudes? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask about their hair dudes because it was like a mix of a high top, low top fade, processed fried dye laid to the side. I'm sure you guys had the bonnets and were sitting in chairs for hours with those hairdos. So who wants to explain how those hairdos came about? You know what, man? All right, well, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. Go, go ahead, Stacey. Got, well, I, I had one thing about seduction because we did so much when we were younger. I said, man, people need to see us. And when they see us, because of some odd way of looking, 
We'll hold them captive long enough to, for them to start hearing us sing. Once they hear us sing, it's a wrap. So that's how the whole hair stuff began. Uh, we, we tried crazy hairdos, you know, in the beginning of it all, after we wanted to just be seen. And after a while, uh, once we became the real seduction, Lawrence's uh, then wife started to play around in our hair. <laughs> the next thing you know, next thing you know that the, the flat top became the beehive. <laughs> you, know, you don't know what to call it. <laughs> and that that is crazy with the hairdo, but like I said, vocally, you guys stood out like crazy because when I was looking at online the Zings commercial, I mean, Lawrence, you made me want to go try some Zings, even though they're no longer in existence anymore. But the way that you say it, it makes my mouth water, I felt that. <laughs> yeah, it, and it was, um, that was a great commercial we did too. I mean, uh, I remember, I remember when we went out, it was an Abisco uh, cracker when we went out for that commercial, um, whenever we would hit the room, the guy, whoever was in there, you know, whatever group was in there, and it's not to toot my own horn, but I'm gonna toot our horn a little bit. Beep, beep. We would walk in there, yeah, we would walk in there, and these guys would leave. They, they, they groups were actually be like, oh man, here they come. So y'all were like they, Larry Bird in the three-point shootout contest All-Star Week and said, which one of y'all wanna come in second place? Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly how we, we would walk in and say, we would walk out of the casting house and say, okay, we see you guys on the set. That was our exact word. See you on the set. And they were like, okay. And guess what? We were on the set. And that was most of the things we did. It, it, it was beautiful though. I, I was just talking about all the things we did and I forget, but my son, he brings it up a lot. He's like, pops, y'all did this. Pops, I found this on YouTube. This is on YouTube. I didn't know y'all did this. I didn't know y'all. It, it, it started to make me sit back. You know, you don't know. A lot of people say you don't know the work you've done until you sit back and be like, man, we did a lot. of. We did a lot, you know, until it, it, it makes me say, wow, man. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm happy with the legacy that we've left. Mm. You know, I'm, 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 I'm content with that because... I was just saying, we didn't, we didn't take days off. You know, uh, there was something interesting. We all had a conversation in, I think it was 2004. And we had a conference call with myself, Dennis, Tracy, and Lawrence. And I said, I have to ask each of you guys a question. Uh, could you all look at your doo-wop finger? Tell me what you see. Now, our doo-wop finger, we, we, since we keep tempo like this all the time, if you're singing every day, you create these splits in your finger. And if you're singing every day, it cannot heal up because you're constantly doing this. Well, we looked down in 2004 and said, oh shit, man, my fingers actually healed up. It's like, wow, that told us that we had stopped singing for a very long time because it was years. We're talking since 1982 fingers not healed because we were singing every day. We were not like other groups like today. Okay, let's talk about today before we get real deep. Today, somebody can go in a room, click a button, put whatever idea they want out, marginally okay, semi-terrible, and then they put it out and all of a sudden they're a big fucking hit. We worked. 
we didn't take days off. We sang every day. There was no, hey, I got the flu, so I, I can't sing today. No, it was like, you sang it today. To quote the hot boys, get it how you live. Get it how you live. Yep. Yep. Get it how you live. Now, what's that? I, I can uh, collaborate on what Lawrence was saying. This is Dennis. Um, actually, uh, we was talking about, me and Lawrence was talking about the other day. Uh, I don't know if the guys remember, but actually, we went out for the Five Heartbeats mm. movie. Wow. We went out for the Five Heartbeat movies, and we actually booked it. We booked the Five Heartbeats. Robert Thompson wanted some actors at that particular time. And uh, we went back back and forth, going back and forth about um, who was going to act. They wanted to use us because they know we can sing and they know we love to look. But he said, well, what about you guys' hairstyle? I said, well, we can do anything we want to do to the hairstyle. How you guys want us to do it? So at that particular time, we kept going back and forth and to the, um, the audition and... Uh, the music is not the guys that singing this actually soundtrack it's another group that's singing the soundtrack i forgot the name but um we um it was asking us do we wanted to do that and we had to, uh you know respectfully turn that down because you know prior to doing business real seduction just wasn't singers we was business man as well so we understood you know the, that side of the business as well so we was like nah we didn't we had um uh, uh, Someone before had took our voice, took our name, uh, took our uh, uh, voices, and put and some and put another uh, particular Caucasian group in front of um, a camera using our voice. Not later did they know that we didn't know the business side of it. So you know, of course, they had to pay dearly for that. You know, but um, uh, yes, we went out for the five heartbeats, and we was the ones that uh, booked it until Robert Thompson uh, decided. Dennis, you, uh, while you're talking about that, you're making me think of a Budweiser commercial. Remember we did the Budweiser commercial with Wolfman Jack? Wow, I did not know that. This is what we do here on Beyond the Album Cover. We get exclusives here. Wow. That I did not you know. That. Wolfman Jack, I remember that. Ready? Yeah, remember the Wolf, uh, and, and remember um, we did the vocals and all of a sudden, they tried to switch our vocals out and, and, add, and add the our Caucasian counterparts. And, right. Uh, and then they said uh, we didn't. They didn't use our vocals, and we're like, wait a minute, <laughs> that's us. So we have to strip this entire track down so you can isolate each one of our voices. How are you guys saying that these are the other guys when it's us? So we've gone through our fair share of interesting things in this business. Uh, it has not been all roses. As a matter of fact, it was never roses. The only roses that came from this was from the collective uh, involvement of the individuals in this group giving their honesty to what we did. But I tell you, throughout our uh, history in this business, uh, we've had our fair share of people with their hands in our wallets. And I tell you not to throw anything under the bus here or talk about the individual personally. I will say, I got a phone call a few years ago 
and it went as follows. Hi guys, uh, I have been, I found you on on Facebook and want to say hi. How the guys doing? Like, hey, it's great. Uh, how are you doing? Oh yeah, I just gave my life to Christ. This that the third. Like, oh, that's good for you. That's a great direction to go. Well. I just called because I have something heavy on my heart. When you guys were in Japan, you made about $350,000. And I couldn't say any of that because I spent some of that money and I was a part of the management team. So I couldn't, you know, really say anything about that. But I just want to, you know, ask that you guys forgive me as a timeout. I, I know why you're calling. It's okay. We were kids back then. We know many people couldn't do certain things about, you know, the positions they were in. But we forgive you, and I'm sure the brothers forgive you also. So I just thought I'd add that because, yes, uh, this thing never goes exactly like you plan, but if you persevere, it can go uh, truly in the direction you want it to go at some point. Right, and that's why it's important, people, if you're going to get into this game, it's business first, show second. Business first, show second. Know the business. Know royalties, no point structures, no mechanical property, know what a split sheet is, know what in perpetuity means, or else your record label exec is going to have their office renovated like Ice Cube did in Strata Compton, or you'd be dangling outside of a window like uh, Big Red did uh, Bird in uh, Fire Far Beats. Let me up! Let me up! And my office hours are from 9 to 5. When his hair came loose. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But as we all know, the music industry got a little bit of dirt, a little bit of mafioso in it. So read the book, Hitman, and you'll understand that they would use mafia-like tactics to get their way. So after it's real, was there ever talks for a second album or because the album underperformed, Atlantic was like, uh, let's just make a clean break for both parties? Anybody could take this. Go ahead. If you go online right now, you'll see we had a follow-up song called What You Gonna Do? <laughs> and uh, it's a song that Lawrence wrote and produced. We shot a video to it. It should be online. You should be able to uh, check it out. And funny enough, uh, we all are fans of the movie, what was it called, Power? Uh, and uh, you'll see Amari uh, uh, Hartwick as uh, the lead actor in that video, that was his first acting role with us, uh, performing uh, uh, that song that Lawrence had written. So, yeah, we 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 followed it up with a song or two, and you know, we didn't do anything else with Atlantic Records and any of the other major labels. The first song we had done, you know, coming out was with A and M Records. That was was with all of us together, Tracy Brown and Lawrence sang the lead on that. Um, but yeah, as far as the follow-up, we only did a couple songs. We've done some production with other artists, as you mentioned. Uh, Lawrence's little brother sings with a, a famous gospel group. Uh, so they've done several productions on that. Uh, Tracy Brown and Daryl, they still sing and, and you know collaborate on different uh, materials with other artists right now today in New Orleans and, and abroad. And uh, that's, that's about it, you know? But there's still some hope for a reunion album. Okay. Yep. Now, mm -hmm. now I want to take a little bit of a sidebar. Um, 2005, as we all know, um, Hurricane Katrina came and hit New Orleans. And how did, how are you guys affected by that? 
and then because I know for me being an outsider and seeing everything that took place after Katrina, then when Spike Lee came and did the documentary when the levee broke, it was just uh I it was just for me to see like man, this happening in our country and knowing that some people didn't have the resources to evacuate. So anybody could elaborate on Hurricane Katrina and the impact on New Orleans and then with the gentrification that's going on right now in New Orleans. Well, I was I was blessed to be able to leave um, the Saturday before Katrina with my wife and her job. So we left and my wife worked at a psychiatric hospital, adolescent hospital. And so we evacuated with them and the kids and everyone. We actually stayed on a we we actually stayed on the grounds of a forensic prison with murderers and psychotic people for um like seven months after Katrina. Um, we lived in a a six by nine kitchen with the four of us. We lived in a kitchen. That's that's that was where we stayed with you know with everything going on. But Katrina affected me mostly because we lost our neighborhoods. I actually used to live right next door to Daryl in our neighborhood. And you know, our kids grew up together, so they always had someone to play with, blah, blah, blah. After Katrina, they, you know, we weren't able to come back. They threw everyone on planes, buses, trains, whatever they could get them on, and evacuated us. And I actually had an aunt, I had a cousin who was in Pittsburgh. One of my sisters was flown up to Seattle. One of my brothers was in Chicago. Another one was in um, California. So they just took us and dispersed us all over the place, displaced us all over the place. So basically, in my opinion, it was their plan to do that so that they could gentrify the place. You know, um, other than that, you know, I mean, it's just the, psych the psychological thing is still there. So whenever we get rain or whatever, people panic because we were stuck here. You know, um, and by the way, it wasn't a hurricane. They blew the levees. So <laughs> really, they blew the levees because I knew people that were, after the hurricane had passed, they were cleaning up. And what we normally do after a hurricane is, since the lights had gone out, we would take the food and we would cook or we would barbecue. People were outside barbecuing and all of a sudden the water came out of the ground and flooded the city. It was not the hurricane. And that's a, a small bit of it for you because you know the story's too 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 long to really talk to talk about because I can be talking for three, four, five hours. Right. Yeah, you, what you got? Tracy, you're so right about that, man. What you said, that's especially with the blown. I heard that story too. Folks say they heard a sound, you know. Yeah. You heard the, the actual explosion. So it wasn't the it wasn't the hurricane. Um, it's interesting enough, we all probably have our own story about Katrina. Uh, fortunately, I think seduction, we wasn't there, but my family was there. Um, my dad, you know, God rest him, he actually was lost in Katrina because he was getting out. Well, my mom and my sisters and all of them, they left and came out to the Carolinas. Um, but my dad, he couldn't, he wanted to stay back with his dad who was an elderly, he wanted to stay back with him and make sure he got out. Well, water came so high to the building, they were in the New Orleans East, the water got so high 
he said to they were in boats he said um the, the coast guard came one night and picked up he said listen I don't have enough room on the boat for you. My dad told this story. He said, I don't have enough room on this boat for you, but I'm gonna, I'll take the elder, I'll tell you, he said, take the older ones, take them. He said, I promise you, I'm gonna come back tomorrow for you. And he said at three in the morning, the next day he came back, the, the Coast Guard came back with the boat and took him to the causeway. And we were looking for my dad. He was lost for a week or so. We didn't know where he was because like Brown said, it was mis putting people everywhere. The phone would ring and my mom was with us and the phone would ring and we would be like, you know, um, I was like, that's not him. That's not him. He called me one time and he was like, la la. And then the phone died again. So, and I'm telling my brothers, listen, man, he called me. They looked at thinking, yeah, right. I said, he called me, man. And he, he, okay. Well, what happens is we found him in Kyling, Texas. They had put him in Kyleen, Texas, on a Christian campground. That's where he was. Now, you remember they were showing the thing where people who didn't have water at the Superdome, mm -hmm. they didn't have anything, they were showing that? Well, I asked my dad, I said, did you have water? Well, you said, man, we had water and food every day. He was what we would say, the only fly in the bowl of milk where they put him. He was the only one. And he said, they took him to the Christian campground and gave them $200 Walmart gift cards each. He went and bought a charger, and that's where we went to get him from and brought him here to North Carolina. But it's interesting. I mean, everybody had their own stories about that, but it, it was it was something to see that. You're looking on television and you see people dying of thirst and no food. And here, he was like, where we were? Because contrary to what people want to say, it wasn't just the urban areas, okay? Now, it was the urban areas where they started it, but there were other areas that, you know, that wasn't urban. You know, it was showing it was just black folk. And it wasn't just black folk. They didn't show you the other folk that they bust out because my dad was on one of those buses. They were gone. They, they took them out of there and everything. So it just shows you, and it's nothing changed, man. It's the same way things are, you know, the same. Right. But I just wanted to show that. Mm -hmm. Right, and that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. So, so Lawrence, you mentioned North Carolina. How did you end up in North Carolina, which is where I'm originally from, by the way? Well, because my my brother is a bishop here. He's a, a bishop. He has a church here, and he was here. And when Katrina happened, mom and dad came here, and my whole entire family, and. I never lived where my mom and dad lived since 18 years old. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do my part to help out my brothers and sisters with making sure they were okay. So I came out to North Carolina. I got Dennis to come out to North Carolina. And then we got into the church thing and got really, really heavy with my brother. Dennis got, you know, started real big with, with Brian and the, uh, and the church thing. And, and it, 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 you know, it was good. I, I realized it was a big difference from LA. The difference was, I was like, okay, I, I'm kind of tired of the rat race here. That's enough of the rat race. I, I, I had enough of that. It's time to relocate and start doing some, you know, some other things, you know. And at first, I was homesick for LA. Then I really got, okay, I'm good. I'm good. But it took a while to grow me. Um, it took a while. 
because you know when you come from LA, when you're in LA most of the time, you know it, it's everything is you know glamour, boom, 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 and the other. You had when I came here, it was like nice people, nice people. Don't get me wrong, folk were nice here, very, very nice here, but it was just different. You know what I'm saying? What you know that's 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 the best it gets. You know, and you know it was different, but you know being around family that helped. That definitely helped. So, okay. Yeah. And what part of North Carolina is that from? I'm in, right now, Dennis and I are in Concord. Okay. Which is outside Which of Charlotte, is about, for those of you that don't know. About 30, 30, 40 minutes away from Charlotte. Yeah, because I'm originally from North Carolina, like I was stating before this interview. You know, I'm in New Mexico, but originally from North yeah. Carolina. So What part? A small little area called Gaston, North Carolina. It is right on the border of North Carolina, Virginia, about an hour 30 minutes from Richmond, Virginia, four hours from okay. D.C., uh, 45 minutes from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. I know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. so rural, Northeast, rural <laughs> Northeastern North Carolina, where it's nothing but sticks, trees, dirt, and you could probably find a Bojangles on every corner. Yeah. <laughs> How about snow? Snow's out there? I had a problem with that Bojangles. <laughs> hey, don't don't at me. Bojangles better than Popeyes. There, I said. Oh, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't at do me. That. Hey, I'm from North Carolina. I'm biased. Bojangles is has the best chicken, best sweet tea, and where can you get a Cajun fillet biscuit and a two piece? Can you call it Cajun day? if it's not from New Orleans? Brown, did you hear him? Brown, it was. Nah, you, haven't uh, had, uh, you haven't had real Popeyes chicken because you haven't had it from New York, New Orleans yet. Yeah, I'll give it to y'all on the biscuits though. A little different ball game. I'll give it to y'all. I'll give it to y'all on the biscuits though. Oh, you definitely definitely don't step in it now, brother. Yeah, I tell you you what, whenever you come down here, holl at me. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pull up. I, I want to go to some hole-in-the-wall food spots. Give me Popeyes. Give me Papados. Give me somebody's fish fry. Somebody yard. Somebody having a backyard barbecue or gumbo pot outside. I'll even go to the grocery store and put in on something. That's the best place to get it. <laughs> and, that's, and then, that's where you get it. But, but, but that's how you do, though, when you're, when you're down south. You don't eat at nobody's spot unless you put in on something. I don't care if it's even a bag of ice that you get from the gas station. Right. When you come down, when you come down, <laughs> holler at me. Okay. I'll give you my number, or you can get it from one of the guys. Okay. Come down, and I'll, I'll take you around. Yeah, Tracy uh, and I. Okay. Yeah, right, we get you right. some real food. All right, I definitely have to take you guys up in that offer. And before we um, close out on the interview, anybody wanted to elaborate on what they are doing now currently? And also, can we expect maybe an EP or something with seduction? And this for anybody. So I'm going to start with Tracy, and then we're going to go down the line. Everybody update with what you're doing now. Okay. Oh, go ahead, man. No worries. Hey, so what you can expect there, and first of all, Jarrell, b- before we close out, we want to say thank you so thank much you. to come together. This is, in fact, a reunion for us. Uh, as mentioned earlier, we hadn't seen each other together or been in the same room or just on any kind of call like this uh, in two years since we went to Surprise Lawrence for his birthday. So we want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to bring all of this out and talk and share and whatnot. And just from this meeting, I would definitely say uh, ambitiously that uh, we look forward to recording something within the next few months. 
uh, we have to allow this COVID thing to, you know, uh, you, you know its, course. its course so that we can all get together. But because you've taken the initiative to, to bring us together like this, we owe it to you. So you'll be the first to know when we do together and record a game. And we thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. Anybody thank else? Thank you, man. And, and oh. Trey, just to add to that, we could all record what we are, man. Trust me, is it technology is amazing now. We could, oh, yeah. we could do it and be like, boom, here, send it to you. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to talk about that. I'll tell time. you, I'll tell you what, man, I've, I've spent thousands of dollars on studio equipment that I've never used. I've never opened a package, nothing. It's just well, sitting there. So let's do it. Uh, yeah, just show me how to use it and let's start recording. Guys. I, I, I'll, have, I'll have my son come over there. Yeah, as far as me, I have, you know, I have my own, my own little company, DJ company, Daryl J Entertainment. But for us now, you know, with the pandemic, um, you know, we all crippled and um, yeah. for entertainment, there's, there's nothing out there. There's nothing. So, um, you know, we just, you know, playing it by the, keeping it close to the vest, uh, getting to get Trace and I get together and, uh, you know, just get together we and sing, you know, because we just, <laughs> we miss singing. We street performing again. So yeah. we, we took it back where we started. We, we back, do back, that. Back. Yeah, periodically I, I'll get a wedding or whatnot, but you know, right now they're not allowing any vocal vocalists or any wind instruments to do anything in the city. So, you know, I've been working on some stuff, you know, on my on my computer doing some some recording stuff, doing a lot of acapella stuff. But you know, I'm down, fellas, whenever y'all are. Let's get it done. All right, Let's Dennis. Do it. Dennis. Oh, Ashley. Uh, I am in the um, like the line of the same wealthy at, at the church scene. Um, uh, with my brother, um, his um, armor barrel and his protective detail. And um, also, we are doing um, keeping in the force in the music, you know, keeping my hands in the music. Me and Lawrence get together, and you know, like you said, we produce other artists and what have you not. And also, um, I kind of got my feet in a little bit of everything. So I'm a renaissance man and doing a lot of stuff for, you know, into uh, government of, of protection, and, uh, executive protection and security, the North Carolina Department of Justice. So I won't talk about that too much, but- uh, <laughs> G G5 classified. G5. <laughs> wait, wait, all you I know, gotta but, see uh, all I got to say is this, Dennis. Nobody give out his phone number. Yeah, don't give my phone number. <laughs> um, the music stuff, so we definitely, the definitely music stuff is always going to be um, a part of, of um, my life and everybody else's life is on this line. So you can't get rid of that because it's the God given talent. Well, I always say, you know, I keep the laws of music around this and that is whatever you misuse abuse or don't use you lose it you lose it that's right and, and i want to say man i just want to say bro i just you know i love you guys i miss you man i just can't wait till we get together yeah. you, know, you know you know start this new chapter right praise god let's go man anyway uh to sign out i love you brothers you guys have been the greatest gift in my life and I am excited to just lay my eyes on you all personally and hear that first first harmony out of your mouths. That's it, man. All the way around. All right. I'm so, gonna... 
All right, go ahead, Trey. Trey, anybody want to say anything before we wrap? I'm going to um, end because the guys haven't heard this song in almost 30 years. This is the first song that we did with AM Records. Here it is Tracy Brown and, and Lawrence. Yeah. Heard I'm loving it. <laughs> Exclusive. Yeah, I'm loving it. Do, do, do. Us a country what baby lock them doors and turn the lights down low. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. So once again, I'm coming with my country album. I'm telling you, I'm coming. That's crazy. So once again, people, you can hear this interview wherever you stream your podcast. Video version will be available on YouTube, my YouTube channel, Beyond the Album Cover. So go to Apple, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher. Tune in wherever you stream. Search Beyond the Album Cover. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Seduction. Thank you guys for coming on and doing this interview for me, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you. Appreciate guys. it. Pleasure. All right.